Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Thursday is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. The U.S. Greeting Card Association estimates that one billion cards will be sent worldwide for Valentine's Day. And that's really something considering that a lot of countries really don't observe Valentine's Day. I'm sure a majority of that's in our country. I remember uh, one of my most uncomfortable memories from grade school was Valentine's Day. I don't know if we did this every year, but I remember at least one year when in maybe third grade or something like that, we, we all took a little lunch bag and decorated it and stuck it on a place on the wall with our name on it and and you know you could bring valentines for the different kids in the class and put them in that bag and oh man i wanted to make sure i got a lot of valentines i didn't want to be a dud you know and i suppose there was somebody in particular i wanted to see one in there from um i wanted so much to receive an expression of love from at least some certain people In John chapter 12, we're going to see one of the most incredible, extravagant expressions of love from someone to God that that has ever been. Follow as I read in John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a a pound of very costly ointment of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. We get to see Mary express her love for Christ. And we want to understand, first of all, that Mary's love for Christ was the product of time spent with him. Mary didn't just do this on the spur of the moment. A couple of things help us to understand that in the text. But Mary had a deep love for Christ, and at least in part, that love for Christ came from spending time with him. From a a different occurrence in their life, we read this. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet And heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Mary didn't have some kind of schoolgirl crush on Jesus. She listened to his teaching and fell in love with the glorious truth that he spoke. She sat at his feet and she listened to him. And and like somebody perhaps who hears the gospel for the first time, they understand that their sins can be forgiven. They understand that they can have eternal life. They understand that God isn't going to make them crawl on their knees up the church steps and somehow, you know, make atonement for their own sins. They understand that Jesus has paid for their sin and that all he asks from them is belief and that based on that belief, our lives are made new and, and we're assured of a home in heaven. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and just listened to his teaching. And the result of that was she loved him. She appreciated him. She came to understand that that he was the source of life. In John chapter 6, Jesus gave a very hard teaching. And this is what we read that was the result of his hard teaching. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Every single person who followed Jesus was called a disciple, not just the twelve. And so there were hundreds, thousands of them. And at that time, after this teaching, many went back and walked with him no more. They said, oh, you know, you're getting to be a fanatic now. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This seems to be what happened in Mary. She came to realize who Jesus was and that he had the words of eternal life, the words that would give her eternal life. She spent time with Christ and came to love him because of who he was and what he did for her. Have you been sitting at the feet of Jesus? Now, as far as I can understand, there are two ways that we can do that in this time frame. We can't, we can't come down here and sit and have Jesus sit on the platform because he's not going to do that. But he's given us his word here and his listening ear to our prayers. And we have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. Mary's love for Christ came out of that time spent with him. And Mary's love for Christ caused her to give extravagantly. We read here that she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Um, That's a spikenard plant. It's actually, the the proper name is like nardisticus something, something, something. And the spike part actually comes from the idea that on the top of the plant there are little things that look like little grains of wheat or something and 
They not only use the root of the plant, but the top of the plant, and so they call it spikenard. It's still made today, and the, if you want to Google it and check it out, it's called jatamansi, J-A-T-A-M-A-N-S-I is the, the name of it. And it's still made as perfume today, and it still comes from the same place in India. This was not a local thing. This was, a, this was an imported perfume. You know, today we have French perfume or whatever. That was Indian perfume, if you will. And that's why it was so expensive, no doubt, was that it was an imported thing. It, 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 was a, it came from far away. And, and our text here says it was not only spikenard. If you look in the original, it actually says it was pure. Pure. And so it was like the essence of the oil. It was the, the real thing. The pound of that time was probably about 12 ounces, not a 16-ounce pound, if you will. But we need to really think about the value of this gift. It was a wonderful perfumed oil, if you will, and in that day, they used oil like, uh, not only like a perfume, but like a cosmetic. You put oil in your hair or on your face or that sort of thing. But the value is the thing that really grabs our attention here more than the content of what the perfume was. He says here that this perfume was worth 300 denarii. This is a, a picture of a, of a Roman denarius, a coin. It was a small coin, perhaps not quite the smallest coin that they had, but it was a small silver coin. And uh, it was, as he says here, this perfume was worth 300 of these. And our best concept of the value of what a denarii is worth comes from Matthew chapter 20, which speaks of men being hired to work for a day to be paid one of these coins for one day's work. In the King James Version, the word pence is used because that's Old English, and that comes into our language as penny. But when we think of a penny, we, all we can think of is a little copper thing. But it literally was this denarius and they worked for a whole day to be paid for this denarius. And so we would think of it this way. If an average laborer in the state of Washington gets eight bucks an hour for minimum wage, maybe it's a tad more than that now, it was a tad less a little while ago, but we're going to use eight bucks an hour times eight hours, that's 68, is that right? Eight times eight is 68? 64. <laughs> Do you know what's really sad? is this was prepared by a school teacher. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's my fault because I told her what to put down there. Well, we're going to say this guy got a $4 tip. Gee, that's why Glenn is the treasurer. What's that? Eight and a half. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. And times 300 in today's dollars would equal $20,400. Now, now picture in your mind Jesus literally reclining at table because that's the way they did it. They would have a bunch of cushions and they would sit on one arm and their feet would be sticking out. They didn't have tables and chairs like we do per se. That wasn't their normal way of eating. And the, the original literally says they reclined at table. Your mom ever said, get your elbow off the table? You should have lived earlier. And they would be laying there, eating with one hand, and their feet were sticking out. 
And Mary came along and brought 12 ounces of perfumed oil worth $20,000. And according to the other gospel writers, she not only put it on his feet, but also on his head. She broke open this little vial. She poured it on his head. She poured it on his feet. And she took her own hair to wipe off the excess. God doesn't interpret what it means for her to have used her hair, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that anything about touching the feet in that time was servant's work. It was not something the woman of the house or a, what would we call her, a, uh, a lady. You know, you had servants to do that kind of work. But she came along and, 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 and anointed his feet and wiped off with her hair the excess a whole year's wages she gave to the Lord. A whole year's wages. I'd call that an extravagant gift. I've never been given a gift that large. I've never given a gift that large. A whole year's wages. In Second Samuel, King David sinned and because of his sin, God brought a plague on the people. And David cried out to God for help. And God says, here's what you do. You go to this certain place and build an altar and offer a sacrifice, and I'll take away the plague. And so David did. He went to this place, and he found the fellow who owned this place. Then the king said to Aruna, no. Um, because when he went and said, I need to offer a sacrifice here, he said, look, take the land. Take it, have, take the oxen, take it all, do, do what needs to be done. And David said, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Mary gave extravagantly to the Lord. Years ago, I had a friend who I'll call Bill, and Bill told me years ago that I could share his story because he thought maybe it could help somebody else. And Bill was a wealthy man by my standards, and he had a lovely wife and family. But after nine years of marriage, she hauled him into my office and said, you know, we need to be doing better. And one of her, as she tried to explain to me wh what she saw as a deficit in him, she said, like, for instance, the way he buys Christmas presents. Said he always works late on Christmas Eve because he has, he has his own business. He's a doctor. He has to be there and has to work late. And in that time frame, which was a number of years ago, the only store open on Christmas Eve was Kmart. And so he works late and he rushes into Kmart at the last minute and he buys whatever he can find and he brings it home. And he did that for nine years in a row. Now, what does that tell you about his love for her and his kids? It tells you that, that he's not really thinking about them too much. Now, I know in our materialistic society, we can say, well, they should be glad to get whatever they got. Well, that's true. But if he really loves them, is it really that much of a labor, much of a hardship 
to give them something that demonstrates his love for them? See, like with Mary, a $20,000 gift. And you know, this gift, in the giving of it, now something happened afterwards, but in the giving of it, it's a use-it-up kind of gift. See, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I'd like to give $20,000 to... uh, take care of this wing of this building, and then it's a, it's a lasting tool, it's, a, you know, it's an investment in the Lord's work, and, and that's a good thing. Mary took $20,000 and poured it out because it was a love offering to God. Romans 12.1 tells us what the most expensive thing is that we can give to God. See, we're not going to take an offering, don't worry. And we're not going to check how, big, how many zeros are on the end of your check. Because there's something more expensive that God wants from you than your money. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Many people, including some that we'll look at in a minute, looked at her gift and said, this is unreasonable. This should have been sold and the money used to feed the poor. It's an unreasonable gift. To Mary, it was absolutely reasonable. It was absolutely justified because she loved God. She appreciated what Christ had done and was going to do in her life. And here he says, look, it is reasonable for us to dedicate our whole body, our whole life to Christ because of what he's done. What's the basis of it? The mercies of God. Do you know what that is really talking about in Romans 12? It's talking about Romans 1 through 11. And it starts off with sin. And it talks about how terrible the world is in sin. And then it talks about salvation and says what a wonderful salvation God has given. And then it goes into the Christian life and it says here's how you can conquer sin. And then it talks about Israel and says look, God has put Israel on the back burner and turned his attention to you Gentiles because of their rejection of Christ until the time is set in the future. And he says because of all of that you should live your life for God. It'll cost you more than $20,000 to give your life to God. Because God wants it all. He doesn't want just one gift. He wants us to do more than put a check in the offering once a week. He doesn't want our time on a work day. He doesn't want some loud singing on Sunday morning. He doesn't want our work on a committee. He wants our whole life. He wants our whole life. And once we give our whole life to Christ, then giving money or time or praise should be natural. What do you think of the married man, the man or the man who married a wife but said, now I'm going to live with you most of the time, but sometimes I'm going to stay with this other woman? Well, you'd say that fellow should be beat upside the head. And if that woman knew that before she married him, she shouldn't marry him. That's right. What do you say about the Christian who says, now God, I'm going to live for you most of the time. 
But there's some things here that I, I need to take care of. And so these times, I'm going to be living for myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church on Sunday, God, but you know, on Monday, i got some other priorities. God wants us to give ourselves wholly, wholly to him. Mary's expression of love, Mary's love caused her to give extravagantly, but then we see something else that needs to touch your heart today too. Mary's expression of love blessed Christ. Look here in John 12, verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Jesus in no way rebuked her for what she did. In fact, here's what we read from Matthew's account. But when Jesus was aware of it, aware that Judas and the boys were, were saying she should have given this money to the poor, when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She has done a good work for me. Jesus said this was a good work for him, and in John 10, he says, this was preparation for my burial. He literally says, let her alone, she has kept it for the day of my burial. Now, the, the Bible commentators are, are kind of divided on this. Did she actually know he was going to be dying for the sins of the world soon? Now, he had talked about dying to the disciples he had, she had spent some time sitting at his feet. Had she listened better? It's possible that she was paying better attention and because she was just trying to drink in what Christ was saying, that she really grasped that he was going to die within six days of this. And that she had, she, you know, she didn't know maybe the exact timing, but back here she said, you know, he's gonna, he said he's going to die here pretty soon, and so I'm going to save up this perfume. Maybe she went out and bought it for that purpose. This was the kind of thing that they would put with the body. When you look at the reference to it later on, when he actually died, and when uh, Nicodemus and was it Matthew that came to uh, collect his body, they put a hundred pounds of spices and, and, and perfumes with him. This is one pound. They put a hundred. And so she had, she had saved this up for his burial. The other possibility is that she didn't know what she was doing, but Jesus attached the significance to it. And he said, wow, she didn't realize it, but she has just anointed me for my burial ahead of time. When God gave the law and commanded his people to make sacrifices, he said that the burned sacrifice on the altar was a sweet aroma to him. Look at verse 3 here of John 12. Mary took a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I just see a tremendous parallel there to the Old Testament where Jesus said, when they offer a sacrifice and that, that smoke rises to heaven, he says, to me that is a sweet aroma. What smells sweet to you? Steak on the grill? Boy. Cookies in the oven? Perfume? 
new car. <laughs> Can I get a witness there? Yeah. You know, smells register with us and we remember them. And here God says, expressions of love are sweet smells to him. Do you, do you think about blessing God? Do you recognize that your gifts of love are blessings to him? You know, God is, is not the Ebenezer Scrooge up in heaven with a tablet going, Okay, you put your offering in today, good. Yeah, you, you, you sang a song to me. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, good, that's enough. You can go home now. Get out of here, get out of here. No. Jesus had this perfume put on him and he went, oh man, that smells good. Not because of the physical smell, but because of the, the aroma of her heart. God is blessed by our expressions of love. Listen to this from, uh, from Hebrews 13. Our love is, is expressed through praise. Therefore, by him, by Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Every time you say thank you to God, there's a smile on God's face. There's a, boy, that smells good. You know how it smells when you drive through some place and it stinks, right? I have some images of that from Asia. Driving through town and you go, oh, oh. That's what it smells like when we sin to God. But when we do righteousness, when we praise God, it just smells, it smells like perfume to him. And he loves it. He's blessed by it. Our love is expressed through praise. And according to these verses, our love is also expressed by helping others. Do not forget to do good and to share. When you help somebody out with some little task and you do it with a sincere heart for the Lord, God is blessed. He goes, isn't that great? It's a sweet aroma coming up to him. Our love is expressed by giving. In Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul was talking to the Philippians saying, you folks have supported me. Here it is. Indeed, I have all and I abound. I am full. I have received from Epaphroditus the, the offering that you sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When you give to support God's work, if you do it with a sincere heart, with a cheerful heart, as uh, 2 Corinthians says, God is blessed. Our love is also expressed by obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. All four of these ways to show love to Christ run counter to our common concept of love, which focuses on warm feelings. I think sometimes we've been tempted in the past to think if I come to church and I sing songs and I get a warm feeling, then that's me loving God. And that can well be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we limit our definition 
of love for God to feeling a warm sentiment toward him, we are going to miss the majority of what he says is showing love to God, which is these four things. And, you know, the one of obedience, of course, wraps up everything else in our life together. Our love is expressed by obedience, by giving, by helping, by praising. All four of these are wonderful aromas to God. There's something else interesting, though, also about Mary's expression of love for Christ. It did bless Mary also. Look again at verse 3. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Do you suppose that for the rest of Mary's life and for the rest of John's life and whatever other disciples were there, that every time they smelled spikenard, they thought of this moment? And they thought, hey, Jesus said this is a good thing. And, and they thought of showing love to him. And, and that fragrance brought joy to their mind as they remembered Jesus and the days they spent with him here on earth. Mary enjoyed the fragrance. She did not give it so her house or the house perhaps of Simon the leper where they were, she did not give it so the house would smell good. She gave it to the Lord because she loved him. But she received some of the benefit as well. You know, probably a number of things that parallel that today. You, you know, you come to church and, and, and the offering went by, and if you put an offering in with a heart to say, God, I'm giving this to you, you give it to God, but part of it comes back to you right here because we're here together worshiping the Lord and learning from Him, and, and there's, there's the overflow of that blessing. Or, or you give money to missions, and then you get to see, like, like we're going to get to see here in just a few weeks when the Thornburgs are here from Spain. And they're going to talk about a church being built in Spain. It's already self-established. They already have their own pastor who grew up in the church. And now they're talking about building a self-standing building on an independent piece of property in Madrid in the most Catholic country in the world. And if you've been given to missions, you've been helping support that. And what a great blessing that will be to you to see what God has done. Mary enjoyed the fragrance she got part of the blessing, it just she was there in the overflow of the blessing, but she got something else too. She gained a godly epitaph. You know what an epitaph is? That's that little thing they write on your tombstone when you die. You know, he was a good man, he was a bum, we're glad he's gone, whatever it is, they write on there, you know. Um, listen to hers, um, from Matthew 26 in particular. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We're talking about Mary today. She's recorded in the scripture. And we're talking about her today because of the great things she did for the Lord. She didn't set out to get something written on her tombstone. She didn't set out to establish a living memorial that will have her name on a brick outside the church building. She didn't establish any of that. She said, I'm just going to give to God. And one of the results was she got a godly epitaph. Contrast that with the reputation of Judas. Now, we all remember Judas too, don't we? 
almost every time Judas is mentioned in the scriptures, the phrase, who would betray him, is recorded. Now, it, it, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the New Testament was written starting about 20 years after the time of Christ, up to about a 100 AD. So if, if Christ died approximately 33 AD, then around 50 or so AD, they began to write the New Testament, and it was finished around 100 AD. And so they had time to look back at the life of Christ, and the Holy Spirit helped them to remember the events that transpired. And so when they wrote about Judas, they said, Judas, who would betray him? Judas, who would betray him? One time they wrote and said, Judas, not Iscariot. In other words, there was another guy named Judas. They said, don't think bad about this guy. It's not that bad guy. It's this other guy. Forevermore, Judas refers to a person who is a betrayer. One, Warren Wiersbe put it very simply this way. We call our daughters Mary, but nobody names their son Judas. Do they? I mean, it wasn't a bad name until he wore it. One author uh, said this, note the contrast between Mary and Judas. Mary, in her devotion, unconsciously provides for the honor of the dead. Judas, in his selfishness, unconsciously brings about the death itself. Mary comes with a heart for God and gives him an extravagant gift. Judas looks at it and says, we should have sold and give that to the poor. And of course, the scripture also tells us in retrospect, you know, after the time of Christ and after Judas hanged himself, the apostles are standing around talking one day and, and saying, yeah, you know, Judas, blah, 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 blah. And they're going, you're kidding and so when John writes this, he goes, Judas, you remember, he was the treasurer of our group, and the reason he was the treasurer is because he, literally it says he used to lift what was in it. It could mean just that he carried the box, but it could also mean that he lifted what was in it. He stole from it. That's his reputation. Hers is one of, of sincere devotion. Arthur Pink, in his commentary, said this, Judas had been in the closest contact with the Redeemer for three years, and yet the love of money still ruled his heart. Think about that. He spent three years with Jesus, and he still loved money more than Jesus. Mary was ruled by appreciation for the Savior. Judas was ruled by sin. Mary's heart for the Savior resulted in extravagant giving. Judas' heart resulted in incomprehensible selfishness. Mary got a good reputation for herself, a good epitaph. Mary deposited her treasure in heaven. Mary deposited her treasure in heaven. One author wrote this, and, and I just thought it was so well done. The idea of Jesus... The idea that Jesus is bringing out here is that Mary had saved this money to use in preparing his body for burial. She is giving him the flowers before the funeral. Mary has kept this precious gift. She has kept the precious gift by giving it now beforehand as a preparation for my burial. We keep what we give to Christ. 
Isn't that incredible? What an incredible example of that principle in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, lay up treasure in heaven. Don't hoard it up here because when you hoard it up here, a moth comes in or, or rust comes to it. But he said, send it on ahead by using it for God and, and that's how you really can have a bank account, a real spiritual bank account. Mary kept this gift by giving it to Christ. Wow. When I was a child, my mom would give me money to buy Christmas presents, as I did for my kids, and you probably did for yours. And I had five people to buy for, mother, father, sister, grandma, and grandpa. But I always saved enough money to buy something for Dave. And you know what that is? That's selfishness. I don't want to give to Christ like that. I want to give to him the way he gave to us. Extravagantly. Heavenly Father, help us. We are so miserly. We are so stingy. We are so selfish with our lives with our time, with our money, with our effort. Oh, we, we love our own things. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to lay down our lives for you. Help us to, help us to give a living sacrifice to you today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.